Hello, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Fields. I'm Senior Vice President and CMO for Pop Health here at Mount Sinai. And I have Alicia Gresham, who's here with us today. We partner a lot on uh, initiatives throughout the network, and I'll let uh, Alicia introduce herself and her title and role, but uh, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, My name is Alicia Gresham. I'm the Vice President for Network Operations. Uh, And in this role, I oversee all of our employed physician groups that are part of Mount Sinai Health System uh, that are typically not part of our Faculty Practice Association. I came to uh, Mount Sinai about four years ago from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where I did very similar work um, in the network managing large multi-specialty and primary care sites. Um, This role is at a higher level. Um, There at CHOP, the the network was fairly um, developed. Mm -hmm. Here, um, when I came here four years ago, the, the network was developed in the sense that we had a lot of sites, but there wasn't a lot of infrastructure and strategy around it. So um, it's been a really exciting ride to work on the strategy and alignment of these practices with the larger system strategy. So that's been a lot of the work. And prior to my role at CHOP, I was at University of Pennsylvania uh, in the beginning stages of my career, uh, working there in ambulatory operations. Yeah, we have our departmental practices, Mm -hmm. but then we also have this other version of employee that's not strictly tied to the academics. Is that? That's that's absolutely correct. It looks very much like a private practice model. So these are practices that function very much like private practices with the benefit of being aligned uh, and part of a large health system that has an academic component, but essentially 100% of their time is um, patient care. So there's very little academics, some teaching um, but very little primarily academic or research components of their work. It's it's 100% clinical. One of the things I was hoping to talk about, as we discussed earlier, is we have worked a lot together on some of the network practices on population health initiatives. And while um, I, I think we feel it in those practices, or the practices feel it in the same way that every other practice does, is that they see... They're functioning in an RVU model, much like our independent docs are, you know, mm-hmm. still get their fee-for-service payments and then trying to reconcile the stuff that we talk about. Hey, the comp model's changing, comp model's mm-hmm. changing, or not sorry, the comp, the system revenue model is changing, mm-hmm. um, and, and we would like to change behavior in X ways, and then, you know, but we still have to operate in the way that's the present day. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see that challenge play now, like what, both pros and cons? I mean, what, what do you yeah. see about that? It is um, it is very much a challenge. And as we renegotiate physician contracts and, and acquire practices that have been out in the community for any number of years, it's a very different mindset for physicians mm-hmm. to think about, um, you know, our typical model is revenue minus expense or percent of collections or RVU, which is very much a, you know, you're being compensated based on productivity. Um, whereas, you know, what we're trying to move towards in a population health model is really compensation based on quality. Mm-hmm. There's some level of productivity tied sure. to that, but but you're certainly not being reimbursed for the volume of patients that you see, but more around how well you're taking care of that population of patients. Um, and, and for some physicians, they get it automatically, and mm-hmm. they're doing that 
as part of their practice and able to balance that within their own practices. Um, but the vast majority of physicians who've been out of training for at least, let's say, seven years or more are really struggling with um, how, you know, the, I've been trained to practice in this way. Right. I've joined a practice that has been successful for the most part in many cases in practicing this way, and I'm at this certain level of compensation based on how I practice. What does that mean for me mm-hmm. if I change how I practice? And mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of fear and concern around that that we need to really get around, and part of that is communicating, uh, helping them to understand what this will look like giving them a transition period where, you know, we're either holding them harmless from a comp perspective right, right. or helping them to understand how their comp changes. But really, um, that transition period is going to be critical to our success. Yeah. Do you see, uh, obviously, over the years, you have um, seen a growth in physicians that want to be employed, but there are folks that have been in their practice, independent practice, like you were mentioning a second ago, uh, and then folks that come out straight out of residency mm-hmm. and want to be employed and have that sense of security. Mm-hmm. How do you see, like, I hate to phrase it as pros and cons because that seems too too critical, but um, how do you manage them or how do you create systems that, because it's really mm-hmm. two different cultures in my experience. I don't know if you've found that as well. It is very much two different cultures. Um, the people, and it's not just compensation related, which yeah, is uh, right. it's pretty interesting. The people who've been out for a period of time and who've um, either been in private practice models and and wanted to become employed or had their own practices and became employed, in many cases, they're not only looking for the security of a steady paycheck, they're also wanting to, the healthcare is so complex, they don't want to spend half their time, you know, learning what macro and MIPS looks like and <laughs> right. Um, right, right. understanding how to get paid in a in a model that is changing rapidly. Right. So it's easier for them to be part of a system that has the resources to help um, cushion that mm-hmm. transition period and also to help understand how to optimize whatever that payment model looks like um, for, in, for individuals and for practices. Um, so there's that level of security. Um, and and I do think that there's a generation of physicians who worked really hard and want, you know and had to go out and find their own patients and had to network across you know certain geographies and build a patient population over many many years. Um, and they realize that as these systems come in and buy up all these practices, that the referral relationships that they built over time, both primary care to specialty mm-hmm. and and vice versa, those relationships are changing not by desire but by necessity. Yeah. Uh, and they don't know how to handle that, and they're yeah. looking for some assistance and support around shoring up those referral bases because they realize um, even the people who have you know ten or twenty years left in their career, they realize they're going to have to be able to mm-hmm. uh, adjust how they take care of patients and where their patients are coming from in order to stay viable and sustainable. Yeah. What are they, uh, they being the physicians across the board, when you, you know, you're trying to, I, I, I'm aware that so much of your job is relationship building and, and managing those relationships across healthcare <laughs> leaders across the network on top of the operational stuff, but mm-hmm. you're having to manage a lot of different personalities. And I'm mm-hmm. curious about what are the issues that bubble up? And we talk a lot about 
burnout and moral mm-hmm. injury and, and mm-hmm. those things, which I think is, is obviously incredibly important and relevant. Concretely, though, what are the issues that people bring up to you and that you try to manage or your team tries there's, to manage? There's a real... Um, there's a real concern about the EMR, the mm-hmm. HR, you know, and the fact that they, the physicians in general feel that that's a dividing, that's a divisive entity between them and the patient and that they, how they think about caring for their patient is now impacted by whatever e- EMR they're on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and many of them don't like that. Mm-hmm. They don't like that intrusion. They don't like the scripted nature of using uh, an right. electronic health record um, and having to adapt their their thought processes and their work styles to, um, you know, this other piece of equipment in the room. Uh, so that's a real challenge for people. And there are varying levels of comfort with that mm-hmm. kind of technology. So um, there are physicians who do the minimum and do a lot on paper and then transcribe whatever they're doing on paper into the system. There's still a lot of that. Um, And then there are people who, you know, are just naturally comfortable and and it's not generational. There's just people who have a comfort level with technology and uh, and are curious and interested. And they understand that most EMRs, at least the ones we work with Epic primarily, that there is the ability to customize it to some extent and then make it work for you. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them are comfortable with that and they make it work and it's not as obtrusive, but for many physicians, it still feels like there's this other entity in the room. Right. And rather than spend time learning and dealing with that, they'd rather have a, um, you know, a scribe or something like that. So they right. don't have to think about to it, it, which, you know, works for some physicians, but at the end of the day, you know, I personally think that's not a great solution because mm-hmm. you're really now putting a fourth entity person in there. Yeah. into, right. you know, you're not just the EHR itself, yeah. but actually a person who may or may not be interpreting what you're saying exactly right. the way you would intend for it to be right. um, documented in the chart. So so I, I know a lot of people like this idea of the scribe, but, you know, I, I actually think it's a worrisome trend. Yeah, no, that, 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 I've had similar questions. I have friends that do it and, mm-hmm. and ask, and I say, well, the patients get used to it. They see that person as part of their care team, which I mm-hmm. could mm-hmm. I could imagine mm-hmm. that you could train, sure. quote unquote, patients to be accepting of it. But as a primary care physician, it does, you know, yeah. on the surface of it anyway, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what the things that people end up not telling you that they would have told you otherwise because they have another right. person Right, there's in the another room. person in the room, yeah. exactly. Who knows? I'm sure there are a lot of po- folks listening yeah. to describe say, yeah, that's yeah. fine. I think the other um, thing that I hear commonly is a, a loss of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sense that physicians are losing control of the ability to manage their day how they want, you know, with centralized call centers mm-hmm. and the need for, you know, authorizations and um, referrals and mm-hmm. um, and as each of these entities start to, you know, buy up and consolidate and, mm-hmm. and we have clinically integrated networks, you know, who they can refer to has become, you know, somewhat out of their control in some ways. So I do hear fairly consistently that physicians feel a sense of concern that they're 
um, losing control. They're not the decision maker necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just part of a team. Some people don't mind that. Others, yeah, but it's a change. Yeah, yeah um, who went to medical school with one idea of what being a physician was going to be like, yeah. that they're frustrated with that. Yeah, I bet. Uh, speaking of teams, so one of the things that uh, we have, our teams have worked together on is trying to get folks to understand the role of care management. And uh, just yesterday we were in a meeting and talked about how we roll out care management to some of our network practices, and many of them have no idea what mm-hmm. to do with mm-hmm. a social worker or mm-hmm. and that's new. Um, it, it, maybe you alluded to it a little bit, but uh, how do you feel that playing out? Do you, I, I get the sense, some sense that while many physicians often complain about feeling overwhelmed in the work and that sort of thing, they're also, and, and for good reason, it comes from the heart, I think, to some degree, uh, but are, are less willing to mm-hmm. uh, you know, trust that someone else manage, quote-unquote, their patients. I think that's very true, particularly for primary care physicians um, and those physicians who take longitudinal care of patients um, with chronic issues. Yeah. Um, I, I absolutely agree that, you know, as, as many resources as we might put in place for them, mm-hmm. there's a hesitancy to... Um, delegate that work because they don't know this person. They don't know their skill set, their quality. Um, There's a learning curve. Um, And whether, you know, I have had this conversation with you and your team before, you know, there's a real value in that embedded resource because you learn to have that Mm -hmm. face-to-face visibility. You build that credibility and trust much more rapidly than uh, a centralized resource, um, and although yeah. the centralized resources make sense for many, many reasons, I think the yeah. physician's hesitancy to use that in, that role and that resource when it's centralized is real. Yeah, no, because they it. don't trust it. They That's don't right. trust. They don't know you know, it. depending on you know what the, if you're just saying, oh, this patient was discharged, and I'm giving you this update, and and I called them and had them schedule a follow up appointment with you. They're fine with that. Mm -hmm. But when you start getting into making decisions or or providing information that would help help them make decisions, you know, there's a lack of trust there. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to figure out how to get over that um, and how to make those real connections with the physicians, which is why I think there's some hybrid model where um, there's some amount of face time. So we have that chance to build credibility and, um, and interaction so that they can, the physician can start to trust that person. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Um, Lisa, you have a team of, I mean, you have several levels in between there, but thinking about not just the physicians and, but your practice administrators. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other group of folks that Mm -hmm. likely grew up in a system, whatever systems they came from, Mm -hmm. that looks a lot different than what we think the systems are moving to in the future. Do you feel like a pretty major learning curve for them too and how do you guys work with that it is that you know it's such it's so fascinating to be in healthcare at this particular <laughs> time because <laughs> you're really managing to the current business model mm-hmm. right and expecting people um, to think about growth and strategy and growth looks like more volume in the current model mm-hmm. um, and strategy, thinking about, you know, where should we be and how do we take care of our patients and how do they access us and the many different ways that patients today want to access us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So the kind of leader in these practices that um, that that we need for today and moving forward is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the leader in the past that worked closely with the physicians and the physician said, you know, I want to do this and that leader facilitated whatever this right. was. This is really very much a role where you have to have some strategy, right? You have to be thinking about how am I going to get from what I do today to what I need to be doing two years from now? Mm-hmm. And what are the steps between here and there? And how do I help get my staff there? How do right. I make sure I have the right resources in place to get what I need to get done? And then we have, you know, the competing interests from the system of, you know, feeding the beast, as we call <laughs> it, um, versus being financially viable on our own. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we run the practice day to day in a way that's fiscally responsible, but also um, still invest in the areas that we need to invest in. And that's yeah. that's always a juggling act. Yeah, I bet. Do you have a lot more MBAs and advanced degrees oh, in absolutely. your administrators these days? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I remember thinking when we first went in private practice uh, more than 15 years ago, uh, Andy and I opening up and we had a very nice person who was, came from the billing side. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed very clear over time that we were going to outgrow the capacity as mm-hmm. because it, now there's you need to be an expert in HR, you need to mm-hmm. be an expert in strategy and growth, exactly. you need to be rev cycle, you need yeah. to be process improvement, mm-hmm. um, customer service, you know, all that stuff. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It is a lot. And, um, and, and, you know, particularly when we acquire practices that have been out in the communities for many years, that's typically what they have is somebody who may have come from the billing office mm-hmm. or been a strong administrative person for right. the physician or the front desk. Um, and that role, while critical, is not really the role that you need to manage, you know, right. a mid, mid to large size practice right. anymore. Oh, I bet. Um, you, you guys have done a lot of work in particular recently, but even before that, on the customer service piece and mm-hmm. the, uh, there, I imagine that a lot of your folks that were in private practice before and became employed feel like that's another part of their loss of control is that they've mm-hmm. lost control of the patient experience. Mm-hmm. Call center is a perfect example, right? Yes. Where, yeah. Um, tell me how you guys tackle that and, and how you're viewing that moving forward. Mm-hmm. So there's there's two components to that question. There's the looking at the patient experience, and we, uh, our team in particular, uh, along with the Mount Sinai Doctors Downtown team, have um, engaged the Disney Institute mm. to work with us on helping to develop a service framework. So we've been working with them since last November, uh, and basically we've developed um, uh, what we what we're calling a service framework. So specific. Um, activities and behaviors that we expect from our staff, and we'll be rolling that out physician to um, frontline uh, and back end uh, to help have a common way of how we not only take care of our patients, but take care of each other. Mm -hmm. So the service framework behaviors relate to how we take care of patients and their families, but also how we take care of each other, because there's a clear connection between the employee and the physician feeling like they're well cared for and respected mm-hmm. and recognized and rewarded. Right. Um, if they're feeling that, then they're going to have a lot more capability of providing that to patients. If we're not doing a good job, 
taking care of our employees, then they're going to have a hard time taking good sure. care of yeah. patients. Yeah, yeah. So it really is um, looking at it from that perspective that it, it's important to look at how we take care of each other and how we take care of the patients. Um, and that's an important piece that we're really just starting to embark on. Uh, and then the second piece is really around um, how are we connecting with our patients in a real, in the way that they want to be connected with. You know, there was a period of time when, especially for really busy physicians, that patients just waited. I'm, you know, I'm the super duper, you know, whatever kind of physician. Right. Uh, And, you know, people come to see me from far and wide. And if you need to wait two hours, you're just going to have to wait two hours. Well, Mm -hmm. that's not the case anymore. Yeah, right. People have choices um, and people are educated probably more than they have been Mm -hmm. um, in the past. And, And they'll just go where and especially in the New York market there's yeah. plenty of Can't opportunity without a doctor yeah. yeah exactly plenty of opportunity to see a physician who's probably also got that specialty right um, so we are spending a lot of time trying to figure out how do patients want to connect with us via text via televisit um, in the office on the phone and you know as much as people hate call centers one of the reasons why that's critical to be able to centralize that function is that it provides a lot of technology mm-hmm. to enable us to, you know, look at patients. You know, we're looking at adding customer relationship management software to our call centers so that we have more information about that patient when they call. Mm-hmm. We also, um, if the line's busy or there's a wait on the phone, we can call them back. Mm-hmm. You know, if you call the bank today and the bank will say, you know, you have a five-minute wait. Would you rather us call you back? Right. Then you could hang up, go do whatever you want, and we'll call you back yeah. automatically in five minutes. Yeah. The ability to do that means we have to be in a central location to have that software capability. So so some of the changes that are happening um, are related to technology uh, and the ability to, to, to deal with patients how they want to be dealt with. If I want to make an appointment at 9 o'clock at night, then I need I can go through my chart to do that. I can do it through Zocdoc. I can do it online. You know I should be able to do that. Right, well, Lisa. Thank you for your time. You do great work, and uh, appreciate working with you. And hopefully, folks that are listening from other systems learned a little bit about at, at a minimum that they can commiserate with some of the things you're dealing <laughs> with. Right. But hopefully, hopefully, have learned a little bit too about how yeah. we've solved some of these problems. Yeah. Appreciate your time. Oh, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you. If you have other ideas for podcasts please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. Thanks for listening, and please uh, rate us on iTunes.